Welcome to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about an area that causes a lot of us a lot of stress, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Did you know that you can have peace in your life when it comes to money? I know it doesn't feel like that for a lot of you, but you can. And I'm hoping in this short two-week series that we will learn to trust God in ways that maybe you and I have never trusted him before. You know, Apple said uh, this emoji on the screen here was the most used emoji in 2018. Now, you know me, for those of you who know I'm not all that up-to-date with modern technology, you know, I didn't even know what emoji was just a few years ago, okay? But when communicating electronically, this emoji means 100%. You might send this if you're communicating that you're all in with something, or that you agree with something or somebody wholeheartedly. When a teacher gives you this on a test, they're saying you got all the answers right. You got a 100%. Well, speaking of tests, there's a test that you and I face every week, or for some people, every other week, or maybe it's once a month for you. And it's a heart test. It's a heart test to prove to God whether we trust Him or whether we don't. Sometime during the month, most of us get some sort of a paycheck. Or if you're a kid still living at home, maybe it's an allowance or a commission for you, whatever you like to call it. And every time that you and I get paid, the test we face is based on this question. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? And the way that you and I handle this test will affect how much money we have, how much contentment we have, and how much peace that we have. So today what I want to do is I want to share a story with you that Jesus told to emphasize a point that he was making. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin at the end. You ever watch those television shows like that where they'll show the ending first and then they'll go back and the caption will read something like five years earlier or ten years earlier and they kind of back up and show us uh, what happened leading up to that point? Well, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the ending first where Jesus says one of the most famous things that he ever said. Maybe you've heard this or some version of this before, but here's a look at the end of the story that we're going to read in just a few minutes. In Luke chapter 12, verse 34, here's what Jesus says at the end. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now listen, Doesn't that sound backwards? I mean, wouldn't we expect Jesus to say that where our heart is, our treasure will be? Because we think our money follows our hearts. But Jesus says it's just the opposite. You know, we we buy a brand new car and our hearts tend to follow, doesn't it? You wash it twice a week, won't let anybody drive it, you know, park all the way in the back away from everybody else. Or maybe you buy a certain stock and you check the app every day just to kind of see how it's doing. It's consuming you because where our heart, our heart will follow where our money goes. How we manage our treasure, guys, is a heart test. 
It's a heart test. So I want to go ahead and address the elephant in the room, all right? That there is, each time we talk about money, there's an elephant in the room. I feel it. Dave feels it. We talk about it. Let's, let's knock it out. When we talk about money in church, some of us get a little antsy, don't we? I mean, we kind of get a weird feeling about it, like it's something that should be off limits. I mean, talk about salvation, talk about, but money, come on. That should be off limits. And I get that. I understand. Because there are preachers, and there are churches, and there are pastors who have abused this topic. I get it. There are those who have done things that are embarrassing to the church as a whole, the universal church. But hear me, our job on the teaching team is to teach the entire counsel of God. And Jesus spoke about money more than he did anything else, more than heaven or hell combined. So listen, if it is important to him, guys, it needs to be important to us. Jesus knows that where our treasure is, our hearts are going to follow. And we just sing about it. He is relentlessly, recklessly pursuing, chasing after our hearts. I realize that this is a big issue for all of us in the room. You know, I was thinking last night, I've been in some kind of pastoral role, uh, some capacity. There's like a youth pastor, a lead pastor, interim or associate for 22 years now. And I know what some of you are thinking. I started when I was five. I get it. But... Uh, but you know what? Over the course of that time, anytime somebody has wanted to get together and talk about something that's going on in their lives, guys, it's almost always about one of two things. It's always about either marriage or money. Almost all the time, it's about marriage or money. And many churches say, let's not talk about things like marriage or sex or, or money in church. But guys, listen, if the church goes silent on important marriage or important topics such as, as these, then where in the world are we going to hear the truth about what God says? Are we going to get it from the news, from school? These are topics that we need to address because these are the things that cause the most anxiety and the most stress in our lives. And you know what the truth is? The truth is that you and I want to talk about these things because down deep, we want peace and we want fulfillment in these areas, don't we? All of us want to know how to manage our money better. You know the number one thing that, that people struggling with in our culture today? It's stress. Stress. Do you know what most of us are stressed out about? It's money. Money. How do I get more of it? How do I keep what I have? How, how do I invest it properly? How do I get out of debt? How do I pay for the things that I want? How do I prepare for what's coming down the road in the future? But yet for some reason, we don't like to talk about it in church. We like to talk about it outside of church. You know, uh, Amazon has thousands of books about how we can better manage our money. We listen to podcasts and, and we watch YouTube videos about how to manage our money better. But maybe, just maybe, maybe God has something to say about it that might drastically change our financial situation. And you know, the, many, the reason that many people don't like to talk about it is because we feel shame. Or we feel embarrassed. I know we've met with some couples before and, and we get all the stuff out on paper and it's like, I'm just so embarrassed to even show you this, you know? Listen, we don't like to admit some of the issues that we're dealing with. 
and how financially reckless and irresponsible that we've been. But listen, we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all done some stupid stuff with money. So listen, you're just like the rest of us, okay? Don't feel bad. You're just like the rest of us. Well, maybe it's not embarrassment for you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you think, I've got this whole money thing figured out, and it's useless for me to even be here this morning. You know what you're doing, right? You're, you're making bank. That's what Chase says. He works at KFC. He tells me he's making bank right now, you know, making bank. Everything's going well for you. But listen, we still need to learn what God says about it. One thing he says about it is that pride goes before the fall. And so let's be humble and let's realize that we don't have this whole money thing figured out. Maybe you don't like to talk about it because of fear. We're afraid that, that what we hear might take us down a path that we don't really want to go. And the truth is some people don't want to know if what they're doing is wrong. It's kind of like that guy in John chapter 5 who'd been sick for 38 years and Jesus asked him in verse 6 if he would like to get well. And then when we read that, we think, what a dumb question, right? I mean, of course he wants to get well, Jesus. He's been sick for 38 years. But you know, the truth is some people really don't want to get well. They like to play the victim. And they don't want to do the difficult work that is sometimes required with getting well. They don't want to take the medicine that the doctor, the great physician, prescribes. But here's what I can promise you over the next two weeks, okay? I can promise you, and you've heard us say this before, but it's worth repeating. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. You guys have heard that so much, you could probably repeat it, right? We want God's best for you. And listen, there's, you know, myself and other people in this room have seen firsthand how following Jesus in this area can set you free. And I've also seen firsthand how not following Jesus in this area can financially chew you up and spit you out. You know, how it makes us live in fear as a slave because we're being controlled by it. And I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. God has something way, way better. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to talk about God's financial plan for our lives. And you can get mad at me if you want, but I've said this before. I didn't write the Bible. I just read it, okay? It's God's plan. I didn't come up with it. But listen, guys, it is wonderful and it works. It works. It's just a simple financial plan based on God's wisdom in the Bible. And for those of you who are always trying to find a, a good book, you know, uh, to manage your, better manage your finances, Listen, we're going to make this way simpler than what's in that book, all right? If you've ever felt frustration with your finances, it's probably because you've gotten away from this plan or you've never began it. This plan works whether you have a lot of money or whether you just have a little bit. We call it the 10-10-80 plan, which add that up and you get 100, okay? What does that even mean? Let's jump right in. It means this. It means the first 10% of our income, every time we get paid, we give it back to God. We get generous with God. Now listen, does God need our money? Come on, no way. He, he owns it all. But God knows that where our money goes, our hearts will follow. So God says for us to give him a tithe. Well, what's a tithe? 
It's a mathematical term that simply means 10, 10%. It's returning a percentage to God through the local church that you're a part of. And I've said this here before as well. But if you truly believe that in your heart that we're just after your money, that that's all they care about at three strands, if you truly believe that, or you think that our leadership doesn't do a good job of managing what God has entrusted to us, then don't give it here. Give it to another local church. That's okay. But what is most important is to be obedient to God. Because every time you and I get paid, we face a test. Who are we going to trust? Who are we going to say thank you to first? Because the money that leaves our hands first, listen, it's most likely what you and I trust in the most. You ever thought about that? The money that leaves our hands first is most likely what we trust in the most. And some of us tend to think our credit cards first, or Amazon first, or our mortgage first. But can Visa or MasterCard or Discover, can that bless our finances? You know, we honor God with our first and best, and he promises to bless the rest. That's how it works. We honor him with our best, and he promises to bless the rest. So that's the first 10%. The second 10% is where we pay ourselves. We save 10% and we put it away for a rainy day. We don't touch it. And maybe you're saving for a vacation or maybe you're saving for college or for retirement. But whatever it is, just save 10% every time you get paid. Now listen, for all of us that are over age 40, if, if you haven't done this, you're thinking, man, Gosh, I wish I would have started this when I got my first check with my first job, right? If you're my age, that's what you think. I wish I would have started this back then. And for those of you who are fresh out of high school and college, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 I'll get to this when I'm 40, right? I'm telling you, start it now. You'll be creating margin for your life in the future. Begin now. The final 80% is up to you. That, that's what you get to spend. Create a budget each month and tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, right? This 80% is what you pay your bills with and any other expenses that you have. And so we pay God first, we pay ourselves second, and then we live on the rest. It really is that simple. That's the 10-10-80 plan or the give, save, live plan, some people call it. Now listen. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I've heard all this before. It makes a lot of sense. But listen, I tried it and it didn't work. I tried it and it didn't work. Okay. But here's the part that you may not be understanding. Here's the important thing that, that you may be missing. You ready? The order that we do these three steps in is just as important as the percentage. The order is just as important as the percentage. Some people are good with the 10-10-80 idea, but they do it backwards. They, they begin with the 80, and you know as well as I do that when our budget is based on live first and then save and then give, listen, by the time we get to give, there's oftentimes nothing left, is there? I mean, it's gone. Let's say you're driving around and, and you decide to stop at that car dealership just to look, because we always stop by just to look. It's always just to look, right? And, uh, but then you see your dream car, 
And then you hear from the salesman about the sale they have going on, you know. And you begin doing the math in your head, trying to figure up how you could possibly pay for this. And then you think, you know, maybe I could up that 80% to 90% or possibly even 100%. And what happens is we've all done it. We just kind of edge God out of the equation. That's why the sequence in which we do these steps is just as important as the percentage. Where many people get started off on the wrong foot is they begin with live, then save, then give. So it's more like 80-10-10, which quickly can become 98-1-1 or 100-0-0, right? But listen, please hear me. God will not bless any area of our lives where he's not first where he's not in first place. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, the second part of verse 23. The Living Bible puts it like this. The purpose of tithing is because God needs our money, right? No way. It says the purpose of tithing is not because God needs our money. It's to teach you always to do what? To put God first in our lives. Guys, God will not settle for anything less than first place in our hearts. Christianity is not a democracy. God is sovereign and he is in charge. He is the Lord. He is the priority, not a priority. He is the priority in our lives. Everything flows out of our relationship with him. And honoring God first with our giving represents a heart test for those of us who follow Jesus. Is God really first in our lives or is he not? It's a test. Now listen. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just kind of here checking this whole church thing out, I want you to know we're glad you're here because we want you to know what we believe around here. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 16, it says this. It says that all scripture is what? Inspired by God. And it's useful for what? To teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Listen, if every person who claims to follow Jesus practiced this principle that we're talking about and gave back 10% to their local church, guys, I'm telling you, we could wipe out all world hunger. You could. There would be food and water for everyone if we would just follow God's plan that he gave us. Think about it here, even in our own local church here, okay? If every person who called this place their church, their home, or even just those of us who jumped on board as members gave 10%, listen, we would have a building already. We, we would. Think about that. I mean, we would be having leadership meetings on how to do ministry better with all the surplus. That's what would happen. <clears throat> Let's get back to our story. Jesus is addressing what's at the heart of this whole issue, why we don't like to talk about it, and it has to do with greed. Now, I know nobody, none of us like to walk into our life groups and say, okay, guys, you know what I'm struggling with? I'm greedy. That's the problem. I'm just greedy. You know, we don't, we don't want to say that. But let's look at the story in Luke 12, verse 13. This is called the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told. He said, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. 
Here's something we've probably uh, never seen before, right? A family argument about money. Ever seen one of those? Never, right? Yeah, we've all heard that phrase before, right? Where there's a will, there's a... Not way, no. Where there's a will, there's a relative. That's what it's the truth, right? Where there's a will, there's a relative. Somebody rolling in, looking for money, right? This guy's having conflict with his brother because he wants more of the inheritance for himself. And so he decides to ask Jesus for some help. Verse 14. Jesus said, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as this? So Jesus says that's not his role. But then he decides to leverage the situation for a teaching moment. And he says to everybody there in verse 15, beware. Guard against every kind of what? Of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Please hear me this morning. If you're tuning out, tune back in. Jesus is not saying that possessions are bad. Jesus is not saying that owning a new car is wrong. Jesus is not saying that a big screen television on your wall at home is evil. He's just saying that those things are not what life is all about. That's not how life is measured. Greed is the desire for more. Greed is not about needing what you don't have. Greed is wanting what you can't get. Jesus is letting us know that our lives are not measured by our possessions. Now, we all know that to be true, right? I mean, when our kids are asking for the newest iPhone 11 because all their friends have it, what do we say? Life's not about stuff, kids. It's not what it's about. Now, I drove my Toyota Tacoma, which has over 282,000 miles now. I drove it for 17 years with a bumper sticker on the back that said, Dave Ramsey makes me drive this, okay? That, that last part's a joke. There's no bumper sticker, but he did make me. Um, but anyway, but there were times I would drive past the Toyota dealership, and I would see those new Tundras, and I would tell Heather, I would say, life's not all about stuff, you know? It's not about stuff. But inside, I was thinking, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had it. You know, I like to drive off today in that thing. And I waited patiently a long time for 17 years before getting another vehicle and was able to get what I wanted. But people don't realize the amount of sacrifice that you have to make, you know. I remember Dave and I talking when, when you guys got your new car. And I remember him, he was kind of frustrated because uh, people thought he had all this money because they paid cash for a new car. But they have no idea how much sacrifice that required. I remember the guy working overtime weekend after weekend sometimes at the, at the water plant, taking all of that money and putting an envelope for a new car. Nobody remembered that. They just thought, man, paid cash for a new car. Must be rich. No, it's sacrifice, right? Some people go on these expensive vacations. And I know my wife sees that on social media posts. And I'm thinking, life's not all about these experiences and possessions, you know. But inside, I'm thinking, man, I wish I could take her there, you know? Not out of the country, of course. I like the safety of the United States. If she wants to go visit Iran, that's on her, okay? I'm not going and visiting ISIS. They're not my bros. But anyway, okay? But you probably have some of those moments, too, because we all tell ourselves that life's not about having a bunch of stuff, you know? But we think the only people who really believe that, you know, are the ones who don't have the possessions, that's what we think. It's like the guy whose friends told him that, hey, money can't buy happiness. And he said, well, let me give it a shot. You know, I'd sure, I'd sure like to try. 
We're sometimes tempted to believe that's where life is found. But Jesus says it's not. It's just not. And so he tells them this story, a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to make a point. And here's what he says in verse 16 of Luke 12. He said, a rich man had a a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. The text says this guy is rich. But notice here that Jesus doesn't say there's anything wrong with his wealth. It's not that he's a bad guy. He's worked hard for it. He's been successful. There's no problem with that. That's a good thing. Here's where the problem comes in. Verse 18. Then he said, I I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods. Take notice here. He's not planning on doing anything necessarily bad or evil with his wealth. He's just doing what he's always done. When he gets more, he builds a bigger barn. And then he gets even more and he builds an even bigger barn. This is so important, guys, for all of us who have ever thought in our lives, if I only had more, then I'd be more generous, right? If I win the lottery, then I'll give to those organizations. If I had a million dollars, then I would build our church building. But please hear me. Can I tell you what you would do with a million dollars? Let's get it out there. I'll tell you what you would do with a million dollars. You know what you do with a million dollars? You would do the same thing that you do now with a hundred dollars. That's what you do. Jesus is painting a picture here of a guy who is simply doing more of the same. And we tend to think that if we just had more, we would be different. But the more money we make doesn't mean that anything will change. Think about it. Think about it. Not all of us in the room, but most of us in the room make more money now than we've ever made in our lives, simply because the older we get, we tend to make more money. And we still think that we need more. It's not more money that we need. It's our behavior. It's it's our hearts that need to change. More money doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to be content. If we can't be content with a little, we will not be content with a lot. This, this guy in the story got more money, but, but it didn't make him more generous. Listen, more only makes you do more of what you do already. Please don't miss that. More only makes you do more of what you do already. If you're practicing live and then save and then give and you get more, you'll just live more and you'll put those other two things on the back burner. That's the truth. Jesus continues, verse 19. He says, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He's saying what many of us have said. You know, what we said 20 years ago. If I could just make X amount of money, if I could make a certain amount of money, then I would be debt free. Then I would be worry free. I could just retire and relax. And guess what? Guess what? Think about it. The truth is that some of you are making that amount right now, aren't you? What you said 20 years ago. You're making that amount right now, but you're not worry-free, you're not debt-free, and you're not carefree. So let's be honest. 
you're simply doing more of what you were already doing, aren't you? If you have worries now, you will have worries with more. Take a look at what Jesus says next. Two words, verse 20. But God. Now, why does Jesus bring this up? Why does God, what's, what's he got to do with a farmer? He's got everything to do with it. God controls the weather, right? I mean, there's an eternal factor involved here. Look, look what God does. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Now, why did God call him a fool? It wasn't because he was rich. God's the one who made him wealthier. God called him a fool because he assumed that his money was only for him. He assumed that his stuff guaranteed him a future. And then Jesus asked him, then who will get everything that you worked for? Who's going to get the stuff you're working so hard for when you're gone? The answer, somebody else. That's who's going to get it. Somebody else. Not because he was generous, but just because he was dead. Then Jesus steps out of this parable, guys. And he looks across time and he looks at you and he looks at me. And he says this in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Can we just call a timeout for a moment and think about this? Because Jesus is saying this to each of us this morning. He's saying that this is how it's going to be. For whoever is consumed with accumulating things just for themselves and completely ignores God and other people. That's sobering. And if we're going to pass God's test with money, if we are going to see God get involved in and bless our finances, if we're going to find peace rather than stress, then we have to wrestle with this one phrase in that verse. What does rich towards God mean? Does it have to do with my time? I hear people all the time, well, I just tithe my time. No. Does it have to do with my prayer life? No. What, what about what I do here every Sunday? I mean, I come early and I set up and... Uh-uh. Uh this scripture is very, very clear. He is talking about financial generosity. You see, you see, the problem in this story is not that the guy was rich. The problem was, listen, that he wasn't rich towards God. That's the problem. So can I just ask you this morning? Are you rich towards God? Am I rich towards God? Because guys, if we're going to pass this test with money, if we're going to see God bless our finances, if we're going to find peace rather than stress, then we've got to answer these two questions. The first one is this. Can God trust me with his money? Can God trust me with his money? Think about that. We like to talk about our stuff, right? My house, my car, my retirement. But the truth is, ultimately, we don't own a thing, do we? We don't own a thing. What do we call something that we can't take with us? We don't call it ours, right? That's for sure. We're not owners. We're just managers. Look what it says in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world 
and all who live in it belongs to the Lord. And guys, what this guy in the story, what he never figured out, he never figured out that all of this stuff that I'm building for, you know, these, these bigger barns, it didn't come from me, and one day it will leave me. He never understood that. He thought it was all his. But in reality, he was just a manager of what God had entrusted to him. You know, we often ask this question in reverse. Instead of asking God if he can trust us with his money, we ask if we can trust God with ours, don't we? God, can I be sure that you're going to do what I want you to do with my stuff? But listen, guys, God is looking for some people that he can trust with his wealth, with his riches, with his resources. And God asks us to demonstrate how much we trust him just by giving back one dollar out of every ten dollars that he gives us every single time we get paid. The first ten percent that leaves my hand is going back to God. And listen, personally in my life, God is no longer on trial in this area of my life. And I've been doing this for 24 years now. And some of you in the room have been tithing a lot longer than that, and you can say the same thing. I've tested him with this, and he's faithful. God even says to test me in this, in this area. It's the only time you'll read in the Bible where God asks, him, asks us to test him in something. He says, you know, just see, just see if I don't outgive you over and over and over again. Some of you know that to be true. So in other words, let me make it a little more practical. If you make $3,000 a month, here's the question that we have to wrestle with. You listen? Is $2,700 a month with God better than $3,000 a month without God being involved in my finances? Is it? In my life, that has come back as resounding, no way, man, no I never want to remove God's hand of blessing off of my finances. I could tell you story after story after story of how he makes it all work out, makes more of less, and it just continues to grow my faith in him. But God only gets involved in places where we put him first. Now, I know that doesn't make sense. And I know some of you are probably sitting there thinking, he's obviously not a math teacher. Okay, we get that. I understand it. I get it. But God says when we honor him with the first and the best that he promises to bless the rest. Luke 6, 38 says this, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. In other words, you can't outgive God. You just can't do it. That's straight from God, right out of the pages of Scripture. Those aren't my words, okay? Which leads us to this last question. Am I robbing God? Am I robbing God? You ever, you ever been robbed before? Several years ago, Heather and I had our uh, credit card information compromised, and that was several years ago because about three or four years ago, we had a cutting up party and cut up our credit card, which was the best thing we ever did, but... We had our credit card information compromised online, and somebody in Atlanta, Georgia, spent hundreds of dollars on our credit card while we were here in Kentucky. And we felt robbed because we were. Well, an Old Testament prophet named Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament of your Bible, 
He says there was a time when God was the theft victim. Look at it in Malachi 3, verse 8. It says, well, look, a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. In other words, when we don't give back to God what's his already, God says we're robbing him. And so what do we do about that? God says, I want you to return to me what is mine. Now listen, if you're still hanging with me, listen. I know, I get it. This whole money thing really begins to mess with our heads. I know it does. It really bothers some of us. Some of you think that you just aren't good with money or that you don't have enough. But listen, the greatest challenge with this principle is not for those in the lower income bracket. Do you realize that research shows that people who make less give more percentage-wise? And the more money people make, the more greedy we tend to become. And you may not think of yourself as being rich, especially in our county, one of the poorest counties in the entire nation. But just living in America, you're doing better than 90% of the rest of the world. And to whom much is given, much is required. So can I just ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing managing the resources that God has entrusted you with? Are you being rich towards God? As we close, I was just thinking last night, what's the most difficult struggle that we have when it comes to this subject of money? And I thought, is it this idea of robbing God? Well, no, none of us want to rob God. Is it this financial plan suggestion of 101080? No, that sounds like a pretty sound financial plan. Is it this whole idea of blessing other people? No, that's not it either. The biggest struggle that we have with this issue of money is this. We just don't believe that God owns it all. We just don't believe that God owns it all, 100%. We say we do, but when it comes down to it, we believe that we can manage money better ourselves. That we can manage it better without Him than we can with Him. We do. And guys, we're wrong. We're just wrong. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to start thinking about making God the priority of your life. Not just the top, the priority. And I want to challenge you to demonstrate. Here's what I'm challenging you to do, okay? I want to challenge you to demonstrate that by taking the next 100 days and just try to begin tithing. That for the next 100 days, the first 10% I'm going to give back to God. Now listen, nobody's going to be checking up on you. Nobody's going to be asking you about it, okay? But this is between you and God. But I think, I think you will be absolutely blown away by what God does in your life. I think you're going to be blown away. You see, once we realize that God owns it all, everything else is easy. Everything else is easy. Listen, the, the hardest part's not budgeting. The hardest part is not saying no to a few things, eating out every now and then. That's not the hardest part. Here it is, and I'll close. The hardest part is believing that 90% with God is better than 100% without God. After all, it's all His to begin with anyway, right? Father, I just pray right now for those in the room who are just wrestling with this. 
I pray we just surrender and say, God, it's not just this area. I want to surrender in every area of my life. I call you my Lord. Help me to back it up. I want to do what you say. Father, would you take the fears away of how it's all going to work out and how am I going to pay the bills and help me just to trust you knowing that if I will put you first, you'll take care of everything else. God, would you give us that kind of faith? Would you help us to pass the test? Because where our treasure is, our hearts are going to fall. Father, thank you for teaching us this. Give us some peace when it comes to this area of our lives. I beg you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song together.